Welcome to another episode of Medical Misfits. My guest today is Johan Hedevog. That's a Swedish name because he's from Sweden. Um, he's a doctor, product manager, co-founder of and advisor and investor in healthcare companies. He also worked as a warehouse worker, as a nurse in a hospital, as a teacher, as a semi-professional soccer player and as a professional poker player and coach. So those are some very, very interesting things and I'm literally not making all these things up. He's best known, at least to me, or maybe was best known as being the senior director of product at Cree, that's spelled K-R-Y, which is a telemedicine company from Sweden. Many people in Europe actually know it because it's available not only in Sweden, but also in Germany, Norway and France. He left that company in 2021 and has since founded his own company called Forscale Ventures. With Forscale Ventures, Johan supports companies to reach their ambitions on growth, efficiency, and leadership. Concretely, they invest in companies and offer consulting and coaching. I actually met Johan virtually when he was trying to recruit me for Cree. I don't even know when, 2018 or 2019, quite a long time ago. That recruiting obviously didn't work because, well, I didn't end up working at Cree, but we got along pretty well and we loosely stayed in touch for like the years in between. Um, I talked to really many interesting guests on this podcast, um, but as I told Johan in our call initially discussing this, he may be literally my guest who's like the most high profile and the most senior one so far based on past job experience and maybe sheer life experience. We'll see about that. Um, and all those like different roles he's taken on in his different various jobs. So I'm super excited to talk to Johan. Leading up to this podcast, we actually had like quite a lot of ideas of what to talk about. To be fair, actually, 99% of these ideas were from Johan because he sent me like a list of interesting things he, we could talk about. And I was literally like, yep, sounds good. Like, let's, let's record. Those are good ideas. So <laughs> Johan, uh, thanks so much for your time and being a guest on this podcast today. Thanks, Oliver. Super happy to be here. Cool. So, I mean, we have a gigantic ton of interesting stuff to talk about um, besides all the medical misfit stuff. But as this is like the medical misfits podcast, so before we get into that, I would actually talk about, I guess, my typical question is, why did you stop working as a doctor? So if I understand correctly, you actually did start working as a doctor after your medical studies. Um, so I would be interested in, I guess, multiple things. Like, why did you choose to study medicine? How did you end up working as a doctor initially? And then why did you quit? All right. So uh, I'll try to take all of the questions uh, in, in one go. So uh, I, I went into medicine uh, a little bit later, perhaps, than most other people start med school. I, I as you mentioned, did a few other things uh, before them. And uh, I was always... It was always clear to me that I was going to study uh, you know, on the university, uh, but I wasn't, uh, wasn't, it wasn't clear what exactly I was going to study. So uh, I was traveling, uh, did one of those classic backpacking tours around the world uh, for six months and uh, ended up in the, in the tsunami in, in Thailand and Malaysia uh, in 2004, Christmas 2004. Uh, and that was um, kind of this uh, aha moment for me. Uh, I, I was super lucky together with my friends. We were traveling between two islands and uh, we kind of just experienced uh, a lot of wavy seas. Uh, but then once we reached shore, that was, of course, uh, devastation. So mm, wow. um, it was a, this experience where I felt like, oh, I, I 
I should do something here. I should help. Um, mm-hmm. But I wasn't super equipped to help. Like I could carry, of course, things uh, that were broken and stuff, but I couldn't really help the people. Uh, so that made me realize that, you know what, I, I should probably do something with my life where I can have some sort of impact. Uh, and medicine sounded like a good fit. So uh, once I got home from that uh, trip, that's that's what I did. Went into med school. Uh, cool. Um, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, obviously not a fun experience, uh, that specific one, but it was an interesting and kind of, to some extent, life-shaping one. Um, and then I, I, I went to med school up in the northern parts of Sweden in uh, Umeå. So Sweden, as you as you may know, is is kind of uh, kind of cold and dark in the northern parts. Uh, but it was an amazing amazing time to to be a student there. Uh, like a very nice city to study in with a lot of students, uh, and I had a blast. Uh, but I realized quite early that uh, traditional uh, clinician career is not for me, uh, and that was for a couple of reasons, uh, mainly because it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of one of these interesting occupations where the more senior you become, the more narrow your scope becomes. Uh, and in the end, you're an expert on, on a typical type of surgery or a bacteria or, or a specific disease. Like, you know everything about that, uh, which is great that people want to do that. But for me, uh, I am quite curious and I think the world has so many interesting things to, to explore. Yeah. So it didn't make sense to me to dedicate that much of my time to be an expert on something fairly slim. Um, and the second part was basically kind of just uh, added on to that realization when I started working clinically uh, that it doesn't scale for me. So I can become maybe 20% faster and maybe 20, 30, 40% better. Mm-hmm. That was basically the cap, right? I couldn't scale beyond that. Uh, and that bothered me. <laughs> so so I, I really wanted to have a larger impact and and felt like if there's a cap here, then then what will I do when I reach the cap, right? Um, so so that uh, all added to the decision that, you know what, I, I should probably not work clinically for that long. Mm-hmm. But I do um, value the time I spent working clinically. I think that gave me a lot of value and, and I learned a lot of things and I enjoyed it as well. Um, yeah. So, so that was it. Cool. Um, one sec. All right. So that's an interesting point, like why it doesn't scale. And that's, I guess, like a pretty interesting motivation, which I, a similar thought I also had, which was more about like, I don't really, I'm not really able to change the processes in the hospital. You're kind of like this interchangeable part while a doctor. And if you like get sick, well, your colleague is going to do your job and they're probably going to do it pretty well too. So it's not like people are going to be treated wildly better because you're this crazy good doctor. Typically you're very interchangeable, at least like for the first few years, for sure. Um, so when you came to this realization, what was your like first step going out of the hospital? What was like, how did you maybe find your first job or what was like the first yeah, the, the first thing you were looking for once once you quit your job as a doctor. So, so I actually tried to make some changes inside of the system first. So I've always had a kind of an entrepreneurial spirit and and uh, it kind of runs in the family to some extent and and so on. So I tried to make changes at the 
primary care center I was working at, at the uh, surgery clinic I was working at, and I was met with this like, oh, great idea, but there, there, there are no money, there, there's no one to talk to, there's nothing to do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of people resonate with that instead of like large uh, government-run hospital organizations. And, uh, and it felt just sad to me. So I felt, you know what, I should, I should use that kind of creativity or, or willingness to create something, but I can probably not do that inside of the system. Uh, so then I started looking at uh, opportunities to, to kind of scratch that itch. And I found this uh, super cool uh, scholarship in, in Stockholm where um, the city of Stockholm together with uh, the Royal Institute of Technology and the Karolinska Institute, which is the largest university hospital in Sweden, uh, they kind of formed a scholarship thing. Um, so I applied to that and was lucky enough to be accepted. And that was uh, a year getting paid to kind of just go around hospitals and other uh, care institutes and look at and identify problems, speak to users, speak to uh, staff, speak to patients, figure out things that are wrong and trying to kind of solve them both mm -hmm. on site for that specific clinic, but also uh, at commercial scale. Um, and that was kind of put together in a mix of group of, of engineers and economists and neuroscientists and a bunch of very smart and interesting people. So that was, that was so super cool. fortunate, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's really cool. Like, I mean, that sounds like almost like a, a dream job coming out of the hospital, like having that sort of freedom and trying, like having, having the opportunity to analyze like problems in, in the system like that. That was, uh, that was perfect. And, uh, I, I owe, I think I owe a lot to that uh, scholarship. And that's also where I met my co-founders for the first company I, I started just after that um, as well. So, so that's a great kind of kickstart to the non-clinical pathway. Wow, very cool. And, and may I ask, were, were your grades good that you got that scholarship or how, how, did, how did you get that? Uh, it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't on grades. Uh, so, so med school in Sweden doesn't have grades. Uh, it's just kind of pass or fail. Uh, cool. And uh, so I don't know if that is cool. We, we can save that discussion because that's an interesting one, uh, and I have some thoughts there. But mm -hmm. uh, but uh, so this was uh, you, you applied for the scholarship, and then there was a series of interviews with uh, both kind of case interviews, similar to, to like a job um, application process. Uh, there was uh, interviews with psychologists. There were different cases, uh, and there were presentations, and there were. Uh, different IQ and EQ tests, and it's like fairly thorough. Uh, wow! But, yeah. but, but it's like, I think it's a good process, and, and uh, yeah, I was fortunate enough to be accepted. Wow! Very cool. Yeah, that's really cool. And then after that year, you, you mentioned that during the year you met your co-founders for your first company, and then. What, what actually was your first company? So I suppose we don't, I mean, we definitely don't have time to talk about all your experiences because they're just like so extensive, but maybe your first company, I think that's, that's maybe something which might be one of the most interesting parts in the beginning. Sure. So, um, so the first company was called Magnea and it was uh, a company that basically inspired to do two things. Uh, so, so one problem that we identified at hospital wards was that, you know, people are very immobile. They basically stay in their beds and that's super bad for recovery. 
whether it's like post-surgery or whether it's uh, just kind of long-term um, oncology care or, or and so on, right? So we wanted to physically activate them to, to motivate them to be more active and then uh, speed up recovery. And the second part was um, based on, on being able to detect and uh, potentially predict uh, traumatic falls and pressure ulcers and, and those kind of things that are dependent on a movement. Uh, so we built uh, wearable sensors for primarily elderly people, and we um, deployed those as the elder care centers and, and hospital wards, and we're trying to predominantly predict falls uh, and, and kind of warn before they happen. Uh, mm -hmm. It was a very interesting learning experience for me. So we were a software company, like software engineers and, and me uh, started it. Uh, and uh, we, we built uh, machine learning algorithms to detect these uh, movement patterns based on uh, hardware that was off the shelf. Uh, and right. We realized eventually that the data quality from the off-the-shelf hardware wasn't good enough uh, at the time. So oh, that okay. meant that we needed to start building our own hardware. Uh, and as they say, hardware is hard, specifically <laughs> for, for, for a bunch of people that had no kind of hardware experience or electronics experience and, and background. Uh, we realized after a while that this is going to be very, very difficult. And it's also going to be very, very expensive. Uh, so either we need to kind of transition the company to be a hardware software company and raise a ton of capital, uh, or we need to find a strategic uh, exit. Uh, so yeah. we went with the latter uh, and we found a strategic exit with a, with a competitor and kind of sold the company. It wasn't a big, wasn't a big exit, but it was a good start to the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial journey. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so cool. I mean, even if it wasn't a big exit, it, to me, it still sounds like a success. Like it's like it's not like your company went bankrupt and and disappeared, but you actually like sold it for at least some some money. So, uh, to me, that as an outsider, that sounds super impressive for your first company. Because like if I put myself in that in that situation, I would be like, initially out of medical school, I had no clue how to do anything startup wise. Like I I could write some code, which I guess I had. Good. I, I had that going for me, but like how to build a company or manage people or any of that I would have been a complete catastrophe. So, I mean, that, that sounds pretty solid to me. <laughs> I, I think that's, uh, I, I believe heavily in learning by doing. Obviously, mm -hmm. I didn't know how to manage people. I didn't know how to recruit. I didn't know how to sell to hospitals. I didn't know how to build hardware or software, right? Uh, so, right. just... Just, just, just do it and figure it out was basically the strategy. Yeah. Um, and on the success part, I have a kind of a strong opinion with regards to success that I think that's a subjective measurement. So if you're able to accomplish what matters to you, that probably means success for you. Uh, and I emphasize a lot on, on learnings and fulfillment and enjoyment and so on. Uh, and I learned a ton during that experience and I had a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. So for me, it, subjectively, it was a, a success. Objectively, like uh, if you were to evaluate it on, on financial uh, on financial return on investment basis, I don't think objectively it would have been uh, deemed a success. 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter too much to me because uh, I, <laughs> of course, think more about my subjective experience when it comes to that. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. And I think that's maybe a good transition for slightly later, like when those thoughts maybe led you to um, found for scale ventures when, when you left Cree at the time. But I'll, I'll kind of try to not, not jump ahead to there right now. <laughs> and before I have like more like professional questions actually like one other question really popped into my mind when i was browsing your linkedin profile was like what's up with this professional poker player thing like what what was that about um so i I always been fairly competitive and liked sports and played a lot of soccer as a a kid and and adolescent um and then for various reasons combination of kind of injury and not enough talent and uh, wanting to do other things uh, I stopped. Yeah. I stopped playing soccer, uh, and I needed an outlet for for my competitive uh, urge, and I stumbled into poker. Uh, and then uh, that was during the poker boom, if you like, uh, when a lot of people started playing poker, uh, mm-hmm. and I was able to be fairly good at it and, and kind of dedicate myself to it <laughs> uh, and, and nerd down uh, quite quite heavily. Uh, wow. So. So that was great. It was also one of these, um, for me, it was a great experience because it also shaped my way of thinking uh, to a large extent. And, and maybe we'll touch on that later. But but there are some concepts that uh, I see everywhere in life, but they become extremely explicit in poker, in the game of poker, which is a game of incomplete information and has a lot of aspects of psychology and statistics and game theory and probability and and so on uh, and you can learn so much from games like that and i think i did so that was the best thing that came out of poker uh, yeah. for me and obviously also it was great from a financial perspective and kind of kickstart my my financial career to some extent uh, but yeah so, so i played poker all through med school and uh, a little bit before med school and a little bit after med school and, and uh, I eventually reached the uh, highest stakes available online. And uh, mm-hmm. that's basically also when I felt like that the fun basically went away. So, so oh. uh, uh, that was, it was a great way to kind of end it uh, almost on top. Not, mm-hmm. not exactly. I like, I, <laughs> I, I, uh, so this is so- somewhat, somewhat embarrassing, but I'll tell you anyway. So, um, I got very good at a specific type of, of, of poker called Texas uh, Hold'em, No Limit Texas right. Hold'em. Uh, and I was so good that very few people wanted to play me, which okay. meant that I needed to sit and wait for a long time to, to have people to play uh, at, the, at the highest stakes. And uh, then uh, what I did wasn't very smart, but uh, I got bored and, and uh, lost my patience. So I started playing uh, other poker games which of course could be great, uh, but I, I started playing them at the highest stakes uh, without barely knowing the rules. So right. that was that was that was a way, uh, like a very efficient way to, to to both learn quickly but also lose a lot of money quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I realized quite quickly that uh, you know, I, I should stop that because uh, I yeah. lose all my money. But uh, but that was also a good realization that you know what it's it's like I'm doing this because uh, now it's not as fun anymore. Uh, so if it's not fun, then why should I, why should I keep doing it? Yeah. Basically, cold turkey, 
quit poker after that. Wow. I mean, that sounds so, so exciting. Like also like besides med school, like I was talking to this other um, potential guest for the podcast recently, and we both were like, we weren't like these overperformers. So we both were like, oh man, we were already like so busy studying medicine. And I already had so much respect for people who had like a normal part-time job on the side, like just like, I don't know, working at a restaurant or working at the university cafe or so. And I mean, like playing poker on the side sounds I don't know, maybe like stressful because you like, I don't know, do it almost maybe every evening. Like, how did you handle the logistics of that? Did you like do it every day to also like stay like current in your experience? And and how did you like, did you, did you still <laughs> yeah. study on the side? Or? So, so I, I played most days uh, and, uh, and often during the nights. So it was fairly frequent for me to kind of put all nighters at the poker tables and then uh, go to class. Uh, which wow. wasn't necessarily uh, a great recipe for for success either, uh, yeah. but but I managed. And, and if we come back now to the kind of uh, pass or fail part of Swedish med school, uh, that was for me in that point in time good because then I could optimize for barely passing. Uh, mm -hmm. So my, my I wasn't optimizing to to have the best score on tests because it didn't matter uh, from a from a kind of Great perspective, right? Obviously, it matters from a learning perspective. But, but uh, at that point in time, I was uh, optimizing to to. It was usually around like seventy percent score is what you needed on a on a an examination. Uh -huh. uh, so I optimized to be a little bit above that, uh, aiming yeah. for like seventy three, uh, and uh, and that that became kind of my my goal and obsession to study just the right amount. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, wow. I did that, and and of course class was uh, mostly voluntary. So I also skipped a lot of lectures and kind of yeah was able to. I think I think have a great um, university experience more so than anything. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I didn't necessarily think it was um, difficult from a logistics perspective, but I, but yeah. I did see your point, and and maybe I wasn't as ambitious of a student as, as most, so probably that's why. Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. But also, I guess we have some surprising parallels there, even though our motivations were vastly different. Like in in Germany, you do have grades, and my grades were simply very bad. So I also was like going towards seventy percent. In Germany, you need sixty percent to to pass. But I would also usually score like 70% or 75, sometimes maybe 80%. But uh, yeah, it, it definitely like, the, I guess the difference was that I was like just super lazy and I wasn't like specifically aiming for like a certain percentage. I just didn't study a whole lot and then get stressed out before the test and just like scrape by. So so that's, that's very interesting. Um, Regardless, I'd like to uh, move forward to actually your first, or actually no, one of your most recent jobs at at Crew, um, because I personally think that that was so interesting. So there was like this, or it still is this, uh, like fairly large telemedicine company in Europe. And um, I mean, firstly, firstly, like what what were you doing there? I think you you like rotated through different roles, and in the end, well, as I mentioned, you were like very high up regarding the the product stuff. So maybe just focusing on that last uh, role, like what what were you doing at the company? So I was I was the first product manager recruited by the then head of product, uh, and uh, when I joined the company, I think we were around sixty people, and we had an R and D department of maybe 17 um, 
tech product and design. And, uh, and we kind of split that into two teams where I was responsible for the team building stuff for clinicians, uh, which back then was basically uh, Swedish and Norwegian doctors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as the company grew, my, my roles and responsibility grew as well. Uh, and in the end, I was uh, responsible for a product area with about uh, 10 or 11 teams across Europe building products again for, for clinicians but also uh, all the data and machine learning and the infrastructure when it comes to, to queue and, and logistics and matching of patient and clinician and, and so on. Uh, so basically everything that wasn't patient facing uh, nor kind of infra. Or yeah. So, so that was great. I was super, I'm forever grateful for that experience. Um, I learned so much. I, I, it was my first real kind of product manager job. Uh, mm. I was able to to learn uh, in a very high-paced environment from very smart people, and uh, grew, I think, also with with the company and and um, yeah, yeah, very interesting. And yeah, I, I kind of like remember that I think because when we initially talked, um, the company wasn't that large yet, as as you mentioned probably a bit more than 60 people than when we talked, but then when we, I think we talked again at some stage, can't quite remember, but then like the company had grown like crazily in the meantime. And I was like, what? And then you had also like, like your, your role had, I think changed in, in seniority at least. So that was, that was very, very interesting. Now, maybe like, I guess like I have like a ton of questions about that, but because we have so many other things to talk about, like maybe just one question, like how, like, what were you actually doing like every day and could you recommend like a product management job to other doctors in general who want to maybe um do some other work besides uh working as a doctor so uh, product management for me you can you can enter into from all different aspects so you can be a designer you can be an engineer you can be a commercial uh, expert you can be a domain expert as, as i basically was with, with some kind of random other expertise as well. Um, and it's, to me, largely a way of thinking and a way of reasoning, making decisions, and learning to be a good communicator, like both uh, consuming uh, information from others as well as, as um, re-communicating information. Uh, so I definitely think that if you're interested in doing something that is very diverse, where you have a lot of social touch points, you need to interact with people in different shapes and sizes around your own organization and other organizations. And you want to be able to have an impact and be able to participate in what to build and how to build it and for whom to build it and what problems to solve and and so on. And that's a great spot to be at. Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't code, uh, so so you have that up on me. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, but then, kind of product management was my uh, possibility to be close to the actual product development. Cool. And how would you how would you say could like another like another doctor in the hospital with like zero startup and um, like health tech experience? But would you say they have like a chance of? starting out as a product manager like if they would apply for that job or like what would what would the steps be if if someone would want to do that so i think definitely but i I also think that uh 
you you would benefit from knowing a little bit about how product development works and kind of right. modern software organizations and and the processes and so on. Uh, there are great stuff available now online where anyone can kind of, I mean, back in the days you, you could read books about it, uh, but now I think you can just follow the right people on, on uh, social media and, and YouTube and stuff and you will learn the basics of product management quite quickly. Uh, and, and then it's more, in my opinion at least, it's more about uh, having a good surrounding supportive structure at the place that you start to work. So getting the right team of engineers and designers, et cetera, to work with, uh, but also having the right mindset. So I definitely think that as a, as a medical professional, if you want to explore that part, uh, you should. And you should, mm-hmm. um, you should you should kind of just put yourself out there, right? So uh, right. try to reach out to companies in health or health tech or what you're interested in and see if you can be useful. So mm-hmm. Ask them what they need, right? And, and ask them, tell them who you are and, and say, these are the things I'm good at and can I help you? Uh, yeah. and you? And you will learn uh, and maybe it'll take you know, a few hours a week or, or something like that, right? But it will be worth it. Uh, so I, that's, I guess, I think a good advice to, to kind of get started. If you don't know where to start, start by being useful. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I feel many, many doctors underestimate their usefulness because maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's these like high school students with good grades, at least in Germany, probably in Sweden, maybe too. And, <laughs> and then you always have the feeling like, oh, I have to study all that stuff it's very there's a lot of hierarchy involved so in the hospital you always feel like you don't know anything and these senior doctors are so much better than you and then like from that mindset it's very hard for doctors i think to understand like okay i could just join join a startup and just literally be very helpful in the beginning by already having medical knowledge because that often doesn't exist in healthcare startups as ironic as that may sound so um Yeah, I guess many are hesitant, but that's such such good advice. Maybe final point about about Cree, and I'll I'll literally just read from my notes uh, one of the talking points, um, that one of the ideas you had to talk about, and it was uh, it was stated as the rise and fall of Europe's largest telemedicine provider. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought that sounded both so interesting and so. Uh, yeah, yeah, so so maybe controversial, but yeah, I would I would love to talk about that. Yeah, so uh, obviously that maybe sounds a bit clickbaity, but uh, but but I'll I'll talk about it in in uh, from from my experience, right? And um, I got to join Clear at a super interesting point in time. Uh, I was basically hoping to to join uh, a scale up and be part of that kind of scale up journey, uh, as I had been part of, of starting companies myself and also previously worked at smaller companies with like 15 to 30 people. Uh, and I was super lucky that that actually played out and, and that I don't think was skill. That was, that was luck. Uh, to okay. uh, uh, so so uh, luck, of course, is, 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 is uh, sometimes also pattern recognition and so on, but, but uh, it, was, it was predominantly luck. Um, and we were, as I said, around 60 people when I joined and I think we were, I asked, asked actually the, the chief uh, uh, people officer how many people we were when I left. Uh, and she didn't know because we were growing that quickly. Wow. But uh, I think around 1,200. Uh, so, so that was like 20xing the number That's of people crazy, yeah. uh, in, in 
uh, almost four years. Uh, that, that's crazy, but it was it was an amazing kind of melting pot for 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 learning and uh, experience and things and doing things. Um, and I think the ambitions uh, of Curio has always been amazing. It's always been we put the patient first. Uh, so kind of coming from a different angle than the traditional healthcare system, which was potentially optimized for uh, the, the system, to be frank. Right. So, so, so we put the patients first and, and we always had that in the back of our head, like when making decisions, is this in the best interest of the patient? Uh, and th- that's what I loved about the company. That's what everyone working there loved about the company. Uh, that being said, to, to like all companies, right, uh, needed to find this business model early on uh, and found after a few trials, found a business model that worked really well, uh, which made it uh, possible to serve digital healthcare nationwide to everyone in Sweden, mm-hmm. uh, which was great. Uh, it was, however, kind of a hack in the system. So that reimbursement model wasn't meant for that use case. Oh, yeah. uh, so initially, that generated... Uh, a bit north of uh, 200, if I remember correctly, 230 euros per patient consultation, something like that uh, in, in governmental reimbursement. Uh, and that was great for Qi because obviously uh, there was a lot of demand for, for digital consultations back in, in the early days, right? And um, also it was possible to have high margins and both kind of 80% gross margin and, and high um, uh, profit margins uh, as well. So that was awesome. Yeah. And that attracted, of course, that growth and that those margins <laughs> attracted uh, great investors. So the, in the first kind of A round, uh, it was, was, uh, that was like a few weeks, I think, maybe before I joined. So I wasn't there, uh, but I, I heard the stories about uh, actually from, from other investors that were trying like banging on the doors of Korea, trying to get in. And be part okay. of that round. <laughs> uh, so they, they could pick and choose, is what I heard. And they picked some of the best ones uh, in Europe, uh, mm-hmm. Index and Excel and Creandum and so on. Uh, and of course, they invested in a tech company, right? With, with basically software margins and high growth. Um, and operating inside of a healthcare system as a healthcare provider, which basically was. Uh, both, like we were a technology company, we were also a healthcare provider. Um, at least in Sweden, I don't think in a lot of countries, uh, in the end, there will not be a reality where the healthcare system lets you get away with uh, 80% gross margins as a, as a healthcare yeah. operator. Uh, so, what they did, of course, was to kind of lower the reimbursement rate. Uh, and they lowered it, they cut it in half, and then they cut it in half again, and then a little bit more again. So in the end, the same type of, of consultation generated a little bit north of 40 euros uh, instead. Uh, so wow. that's a big shift, right? And, and then uh, we needed to find profitability and growth in, in other pockets. So we expanded to other markets, uh, other types of uh, clinicians. So we went from, from as I said earlier on, the digital doctor meetings in Sweden, right? To having nurses and psychologists and, and so on. And it was uh, video and it was chat and it was physical care built and, and bought physical healthcare centers uh, as well. And we were in, in Sweden, Norway, UK, France and Germany. Uh, so that was a great pan-European uh, was, was the kind of the vision, right? 
and uh, it, it was a great expansion in in in, in a sense. But it was also fueled by the VC capital that initially was there for the kind of tech margins. Um, yeah. So in the end, I think where the company is now, which is, is kind of this strategic transition into more of a healthcare provider than previously more of a technology company, uh, that was probably, I think it's the right thing for the company to do and, and, and so on. But I can imagine that it wasn't necessarily where everyone thought or wanted it to go. Uh, specifically as an investor, if you're investing in a, in a company on a certain trajectory, you probably have a model that, that tells you that that's the type of company it is and, and so on, right? Yeah. Um, but that's the game of investing as well. So, so uh, they, they know what they're doing and, and getting themselves into yeah. it. But, uh, but yeah, so, so we, of course, experienced all types of challenges you can imagine when trying to take a model uh, and, and a technology from the Nordics to the UK, to France, to Germany, um, mm-hmm. both from a kind of data perspective and governance perspective and reimbursement perspective and user experience perspective and uh, digital infrastructure in the different countries uh, perspective. So uh, that was super, super great to be part of. And, and I think I could not have probably not have found a way to, to learn more in a shorter period of time yeah. than I did there. Interesting. Wow. That's so cool. And I think your point about investors expecting software margins and not healthcare margins mm-hmm. is such an interesting point because we had, and this is, I guess, jumping across topics a bit, but I guess I have to accept that fate in, in, this, in this podcast <laughs> interview because it's so interesting. <laughs> and I think we we talked earlier before this before this recording we were talking about like um like how healthcare startups like what challenges they generally face and that was also one of the things you proposed to talk about um and I think that's that's a good transition because so let me explain so crew and I didn't know that by the way with the margins initially that's super interesting like initially actually had like this super viable business model as far as it sounds earning like really a lot per consultation and everything and now the prices of course the reimbursement price is going down now it becomes extremely tricky that reminds me a lot of like the diga companies in germany so mm-hmm. digas are I, i'm explaining this to the listeners not to you <laughs> and uh reimbursable apps so you can download an app and um, the usage gets reimbursed by health insurance and they negotiate a price so my, your health insurance might pay i don't know 100 euros to the app manufacturer for uh well you being able to use that and there i in my opinion i see something very similar too it's like initially the prices might have been high but now they're kind of like going down and i kind of like look at all these startups and this is not just the diga startups it's also like companies like which sell directly to to people and i'm thinking like i mean yeah you make money but you don't make crazy money which would potentially fund you building a company with hundreds of employees and like a research division or whatever this might fund like a 20 30 40 person company being like quite profitable and doing like pretty good work but it wouldn't fund this crazy huge company and all healthcare companies which i'm or startups which i'm seeing right now i'm like yeah i mean you can earn some money but i don't see this growing to the scale which they and their investors anticipate <laughs> so um what what are your thoughts on that do you see like do you see like any 
any like successful path to being like a healthcare tech company right now? I think it's definitely possible. Uh, but being in health tech, you always have the uh, the triple P uh, problem, right? That the patient, provider, and payer, uh, and you need to adhere to, to all of them. And uh, specifically, the payer situation in health tech has been challenging. Uh, and of course, you can, health tech is a broad term, right? And, and you can, if you want to include things like biotech, and you can include things like medtech, where there are more traditional business models and it's not easy to succeed in those uh, links, but but at least uh, it's been done and proven. Uh, but in the more kind of digital health space, it is uh, yet to be the kind of the jury is still out. I think in terms of, of success cases, uh, and and of course there have been built some some big companies, and you do have the likes of, of Dr. Lib, for example, the French company that also uh, is in Germany now. Uh, and then some other companies that have built big companies. Uh, but in terms of building this kind of massive, impactful company that is sustainable over time and fueled by its own cash flow, um, I agree with you. It's probably challenging. But that, I think, is, is the reason why we also need to push uh, because it's not going to happen by itself, right? It's, it's also the reason why Google and Amazon and, and Apple and so on all have tried their their hands on, on in health, and right. I wouldn't say they, they failed. They just kind of they haven't been able to have that type of impact that you potentially would expect a company of that magnitude to have. Um, so I think we all need to kind of work in this space to make it happen because the need is, is so great, uh, and of course it's challenging, and of course there is no. And, and I mean, I think the has a great, uh, great initiative, uh, but I can see the kind of same patterns, right? As, as, as you mentioned, that of course you initially need to have a fair amount of reimbursement to attract companies to build in the space. Uh, but if they then become big enough, it's going to be very costly for whoever is paying uh, if it's a very high margin business. So yeah. then it's not, it's not going to be worth it, right? Uh, so it's the same challenge whenever you're building a company. You need to generate enough value for the user or the customer where they get a net value after paying you. And there's also enough value for you to kind of have your cut at it, right? And I, that is tricky in health tech, no doubt about it. Uh, and it's predominantly tricky because of the lack of uh, existing kind of established business models that, that scale uh, across regions and countries. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. If you would, if you would found, if, if you would found a healthcare company now, um, we'll talk about the actual company you founded instead, but if you, if you would be founding a healthcare company right now, do you have any idea of what you would do? Like, what would you build? Like, what would the product be and how would you earn money? Uh, so, so a healthcare company or a health tech company. Oh uh, yeah. Good point. Mm, both actually, like if you had the choice, would it be a healthcare or a health tech company? And then regard, like depending on what you would choose, what would it do? So I want to optimize for things that are important to me whenever I make decisions like that. And, and I care about uh, learning and I care about having fun, enjoying myself and, and a bunch of other things as well, uh, obviously. Right. Uh, 
but I wouldn't necessarily optimize for which is the space where I can build the most uh, objectively successful or financially successful company. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe that is good kind of a disclaimer because uh, that's, I think, usually how people would answer that question. Where where would the biggest opportunity be? Right. Um, I think there are great opportunities when it comes to uh, infra, for example. Um, and I think there are great opportunities when it comes to um, decision support. Uh, but I do think that if I were to build a company, uh, and and I'll give you also uh, a little bit of insight that we we have. Um, so so at four scale, we also um, build our own products because it's fun, and we like to kind yeah. of keep our fingers on the pulse, and we also um, want to learn new things. So we just launched a, a women's health uh, e-commerce company. Um, with with right. rapid rapid uh, home tests for uh, women specific or uh, women uh, dominated conditions, uh, so that's something that I had never done before e-commerce. That was uh, something that I wanted to to try, uh, and we wanted to do something in in uh, women's health because we care about the space. Um, so I think whenever you can find that combination of I care about this. And I enjoy doing this, and I also learn a lot. Uh, that's where I want to be. So, so that's where we ended up with with that kind of company, uh, learning about. So, um, I, I, I um, this is a bit of a, a detour, but uh, I, I quite often get asked, like, well, so what do you do, right? And, and what do you work with? Uh, as everyone get uh, get asked that question, and it's quite difficult for me to explain uh, because I do a lot of different things. So I've started trying to instead tell people what I've done today. Um, so kind of list the things that I've done, and, and specifically yeah. with with people like my parents, etc. Uh, and that that generation, it becomes easier to be concrete. Uh, so then, for example, yesterday I was writing um, IFUs and instructions on on how to take. Uh, different types of, of, of uh, tests for, for like menopause or, or uh, hypothyroidism and so on. Right? And uh, so that was a very kind of detailed, hands-on thing mm-hmm. to do. But I was also having uh, conversations with other investors and, and like looking at um, different health tech companies and if they were investable or not for us. Uh, and I was also talking about a potential board seat with, with a company and I was also having a conversation with a company that we do some consultancy work for um, and, and kind of health tech AI company um, about their go-to-market strategy. Uh, so I want to have all of that. Uh, I mean, maybe greedy when it comes to, <laughs> to, to learnings, uh, but I, I want to be exposed to all of that. So I probably wouldn't found the type of company that requires mm-hmm. 100% of my attention. That was like a long-winded way of answering your question. But if it yeah. were to require 100% of my attention, as the biggest opportunities would, then I would probably not want to do it. Right. And I think one thing which, which I guess is a recurring theme is like that you're optimizing for things which matter to you and also for opportunities where you can learn something new. How did, how did that idea come to be like, 
was that already something a thought you had like while being in med school and like while thinking about what you do in the future or was that something which came up later during one of your past jobs where you were like i don't know this vc funded startup stuff sucks and we should i, sh I should be i should be doing stuff which matters to me <laughs> how did that happen uh so so maybe to be to be clear also i don't think vc funded uh, startups suck i think that's a great way of funding for the right type of company um yeah but i do think that it comes with uh, it comes with with something that you should be aware of right so it is a certain trajectory and it is a certain long-term commitment that you make if you try to decide to take on vc capital uh, mm -hmm. and you should be aware of that because it's the type of decision where it's a little bit tricky to to go back on it um so so that said uh no i, I don't think it was always something that was um at least not on a conscious level clear to me i think as, as anyone right i um made good and bad decisions and, and i optimized for whatever was kind of here at the moment interesting for me uh and so on but i was um always interested in in the concept of motivation and drivers and how to think about that and, and how that impacted decision making uh, so after I, I left Cree, um, I got this huge kind of realization that, oh, mind space, my mind opened up. Uh, mm -hmm. I was able to, to think uh, in, I think, in a clearer way than I was during the most hectic days where, where I was like living and breathing Cree for, for most of my wake time. Um, yeah. There wasn't that much room to, to do other things, right? to think about other things. Um, and the interesting thoughts usually come from, from getting exposure to different things and mapping them together, adding them together, and kind of one, one plus one becomes three. Um, so I was lucky enough to kind of have the opportunity to have that uh, mind space and be able to think a little bit about myself uh, and how I wanted to, to live my life. Uh, and for me, that landed in, you know what, I should identify my drivers, what are important things to me, not goals, but, but things that matter to me, like my family, like learning a lot, like being in control of my time, and so on. Uh, and then I should iterate and find a framework that works so that I can get the most uh, out of those drivers and I can get as close as possible in those directions, right? Um, so I, I did uh, do that and I iterated quite a lot in that and landed in a concept that worked for me where um, I have my long-term drivers. I have iterated on them once uh, during this past two years um, and, and I, I will again if needed, but uh, I think they're fairly solid. And mm -hmm. uh, instead, I work in uh, short to midterm uh, sprints or, or with goals, if you like. Uh, so for me, monthly works really well. So I set monthly goals that are actions uh, clearly associated with the drivers. So not goals in terms of I will reach this target, uh, but goals on things that I should do. Uh, mm -hmm. And these actions should take me in those directions. Uh, so that's kind of how I think about living my life and optimizing, making sure that I don't need to make those 
uh, huge difficult uh, decisions on, on what to optimize for all the time, but I, I know what matters to me and then I will make the everyday decisions and actions in those directions. And I will check myself once a month to make sure that, that I'm actually moving in those directions. Um, and I think that actually, actually works for, for so that's kind of on the almost personal development side, right? I think that works for product development. I think that works for company building um, mm-hmm. as well. So, so um, yeah, that's uh, how I think about yeah. it. So that's a perfect transition to your current company for scale ventures. So what, what do you do? Like what, <laughs> what, what does, what does like a typical sprint look like, for example? Yeah. So, uh, to be, to be clear as well, I, I am a founding partner of for scale venture, uh, together with, uh, two, uh, amazing colleagues that I met at Kri. So Malin, who uh, was the general manager for Norway and then deputy general manager for Sweden, uh, very commercial kind of profile and Mauro was VP engineering, uh, very technical profile. Uh, so we're, we're all founding partners together and we try to, uh, optimize specifically for, for learnings and, and, and enjoyment. Right. And we did a lot of groundwork together before starting the company to make sure that our drivers were aligned and, and so on. Uh, and what we do is try to find synergies in, the space where we bring the 360 perspective of commercial product tech uh, and so on, uh, but also get exposure to a lot of different surfaces. So we do invest in early stage companies. Uh, it's our own capital. We don't want to raise a fund because we don't want to have that um, responsibility towards LPs. Uh, so we invest our own capital, which means that as we're not billionaires, we also need to be fairly selective and find companies where we can add both capital and uh, other types of value. So competence uh, predominantly. Uh, yeah. So we, we do that. Uh, it has um, so happened that it's been predom- predominantly healthcare or health tech companies so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are, we are we're agnostic uh, and we want to explore other uh, things as well. And then we um, take the learnings that we have uh, and apply those to those companies, but we also do the same for later stage companies where our capital isn't relevant, but our competencies still are. Uh, and there we do have instead a consultancy business model. Uh, and then we also create and generate uh, material and, and hold courses and workshops um, and uh, um, executive coaching uh, yeah. as well. And as I mentioned, we also build things and, and uh, yeah. That is uh, because we like it, but also for those things to become cash flow positive and make money. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. I mean, to me, that just sounds like three people doing whatever is fun for them. <laughs> like, <laughs> like among yeah. among other things. Well, I mean, while bringing in sufficient money, I guess at least through consulting, but probably through other things too. But it it sounds like a great setup. Yeah. Someone said uh, it's like a playground for for adults and. And uh, I agree. Like it, it, it probably is wasn't necessarily just designed as such, but but uh, we're super fortunate to be able to do what we do. Yeah, so cool, great. So I only have like as we're nearing the 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 end time wise, I only have like my my last few final questions, and feel free to answer these 
extremely briefly, um, if, if possible. Otherwise, of course, you can go into more detail. But these are questions I ask every guest and the answers are, I guess, sometimes quite interesting. So if you had like a few million euros in your bank account, would you do anything differently right now? And maybe a quick elaboration. This is kind of like by design. So it's not like a hundred million euros that you're crazy rich and don't have to ever think of money again, but it's still like a few million euros where you probably could live mostly comfortably for the rest of your life and you probably wouldn't have to work. Would you do any different would you do anything differently right now? So the brief answer is uh, no. My 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 day to day would look very much the same, actually. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so if you could if you could the next question, if you could time travel and talk to your past self who's currently attending medical school, what advice would you give that person? Would you do anything differently? So I, I don't believe in regrets. Uh, and, and I do uh, heavily believe in a probabilistic world where uh, the things that we do can have an impact on what happens, but there's also randomness and, and so on that plays in. Uh, so I wouldn't change anything because if I did, now of course becoming somewhat theoretical, but in reality, right? If I changed a single thing, I wouldn't have my kids. Right. Uh, my my kids are a combination of one sperm and one egg, right? And uh, those yeah. would never have met if I had changed a single thing prior to to that uh, meeting. So uh, of course I would not change a single thing. So. So that's uh, that's that. But then uh, around advice, uh, I think we, that's maybe more interesting <laughs> to like advice to myself or, or other people in the in a similar mm -hmm. situation. Um, so what I kind of realize now, approaching forty and, and now also passing forty, um, on what I think is a good structure that works for me. It's not necessarily going to work for for you or anyone else, but finding that type of structure that works for you, taking the time to, to mindfully think about it, not solely going into the, the squirrel wheel, if you like, and kind of just going with the flow and, oh, I, I went into med school, so now I need to follow all the steps until I'm a professor and I'm 65. Um, yeah. It becomes very weird. Uh, like as a product developer, right? You want to iterate and you want to get data and learn and change your decisions based on that data. And if you make one decision when you're 20 and then you're stuck with that until you're 65, it's probably not the right thing. Like you probably want to take the learnings and insights that you get along the way and feed those into your decision-making model and iterate on that decision. So my advice would be to figure out what that model looks like for you. Uh, and if you wanna borrow or steal my model, Go for it. Uh, it's not necessarily. I mean, it's not perfect for me, so it's not going to be perfect for you, right? Uh, yeah. So, but but it may be inspirational. Uh, but identifying what matters to you, and then making sure that you take small steps in those directions on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, and then being open-minded and making sure that you don't let um, societies or whatever external use of, of what you should do make the decisions for you so yeah. you're in control of of, of if <laughs> this is not a discussion but free will like so let's take that uh, separately but but you're in control of your decisions if you believe that you can control your decisions uh, you should make sure that you uh, 
make them in in a in a ma- in a way that matters to you. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really good advice. And maybe to add to that, I guess it should not only matter but probably also like be fun to some degree so that people can stay motivated. Um Yeah, there's um, uh this is great Swedish uh poem. I'm not going to quote it because it's in Swedish. Uh, yeah. But it it basically says that uh the journey is the goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's like the end end line of it, uh, and I think that's super powerful. So we we only have this to our turn to the extent of our knowledge, right? We only have this limited uh, life, and to optimize for a point in the future, fairly long uh, time into the future, isn't necessarily the best way uh, of going about it. Uh, yeah. But optimizing for the journey of getting there. Um, and that also goes into how you think about, again, like a learning from poker in, in terms of expected value versus versus value and also uh, applicable to financial models and so on. But you, you want to make sure that you optimize for as much expected value uh, as possible. And the further into the future that value is, uh, the less can be accumulated during time, right? So when you, when you ship products, you want to ship them as soon as possible, not only because you want to, to learn and you want to produce things and so on, but you also want to have the highest impact uh, that you can get uh, and that uh, create the most the most value. Uh, and value is, is kind of the function of impact and, and time. Uh, so how long for how long time is that impactful, right? Uh, yeah. So making sure that you optimize for the journey, I think, is essential. Yeah. That's yeah, that's that's so good advice. <laughs> Especially for I think medical people who are often I think more driven by like outcomes, like okay, I have to become a doctor, I have to like pass medical school and then in Germany in German in Germany is like okay, you have to pass your residency training, your internship and so on and so on and become, I don't know, become a professor or whatever. But then you're like, okay, now you're a professor and and now what? So <laughs> so, so that's uh that that's that's a good point. Could you could you imagine going back to the hospital to work as a doctor? I kind of probably think I know the answer to that, but I'll, I'll, I'll still ask you. So I think it's a very low probability that uh, yeah. I would. Uh, but I, it's not that I would hate it, right? I, I enjoyed working clinically, uh, and I would, again, most likely enjoy working clinically, but I enjoy other things more. Uh, and there's an opportunity cost with, with everything you do. Um And I guess for me, clinical work isn't something where I could spend 5% of my time. Uh, it's been now, I think, 10 years since I saw my last patient clinically. Uh, right. So I would probably need to refresh my competency quite a lot in order to be a good practicing doctor. Um, so I don't I don't see that pathway ahead of me. But if faith has it, has it and, and kind of I'm forced to go down that pathway, It wouldn't yeah. be the, the end of the world. Right? I would enjoy it. Cool. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's definitely a prob- probabilistic world. Like <laughs> this is probably like a low probability, but not not yeah. impossible. That's a good yeah. point. <laughs> not, z- not zero, but but close to it. Yeah. How can people follow you online if they're interested in what you do? Would that be LinkedIn, or would that also be other websites? Uh, so people can definitely uh, follow and in, hopefully also interact with me on, on LinkedIn. Yeah. Fun. Uh, 
uh, I do write uh, two uh, Substack newsletters. One called right. uh, Big World, Small World, which is about the kind of intersection of product development and, and life. Uh, and one called uh, Mini Mental Models, uh, which is uh, a collection of, of mental models that I have uh, found and some that I've, I don't want to say invented because uh, it's it very likely exists and I can't just place the source. But things that I kind of have uh, to some extent created myself uh, and, and share those. So if people are interested, those would be good things to subscribe to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and otherwise, just, just hit me up on, on LinkedIn and, and have a chat. Cool. Yeah, I'll definitely make sure to link those um, below below this episode in the in the episode description, so people can click on that and check those out. Sounds really interesting. I haven't looked at them yet, so I'm curious to to have a look at your writing at some stage. So <laughs> that sounds pretty interesting. Cool. Regardless, um, this has been super interesting. We touched upon so many things, also besides medical misfit stuff, but also like health tech and healthcare startups in general. And I, I think that's super, super fascinating. So thanks so much for your time and joining me today, Johan. And I guess the conclusion is like people should optimize for what matters to them. Thanks, Oliver. Yeah, uh, it was great. It was great to, to have this conversation with you. Uh, and yet that's a good, good takeaway. <laughs>